This is Nomina's Mental Health Mavens, where each week we bring you guests from the mental health and holistic care community to talk about different mental health issues and treatment modalities. Now, guest opinions are their own, and some content may be triggering, so please take care. But in Nomina, we work with complex and treatment-resistant mental health and addiction, so we know the importance of making exceptional mental health accessible to everyone. With that, today's guest is Michelle Gallant with the BC Schizophrenia Society, who is here to talk to us about some of the resources that are available to those who have schizophrenia and their support people. Let's welcome Michelle. Uh, My name is Michelle, and I am the regional educator for North Vancouver Island. My I guess my territory covers everything north of the Comox Valley here on the island. And what my position really is, is to provide um, support to families who have a loved one with a mental illness. So while we are called BC Schizophrenia Society, it's schizophrenia and every other severe mental illness, whether that's bipolar, depression, um, I've heard several types. So we provide different types of support through our program. So whether it's one-on-one support through our peer support programs, whether it's um, online or in-person group support um, support groups, or it's through our like core programs such as strengthening families together. Um, we have kids in control, and these are more educational programs that help provide more tools and resources to families who don't know anything about their recent diagnosis of their loved one, whether it's their child or their spouse or a sibling. So we help break down, you know, what some of these, you know, medical terms mean, or what is the mental health act, or um, what does it mean to have a mental illness? And what does that journey look like? So one of the questions that I posed to you when we were preparing for this interview was what the next step should be after diagnosis. And it seems to me like you, you're it, you're the next step. <laughs> um, yeah, it really depends on where they're at. And as an original educator, that is what we like to, how we like to approach is, and is meet that family member where they're at in that process. So sometimes I do get calls from um, family members who are in a state of crisis. Something just happened. They, their loved one was just admitted and they came across my name or another educator in their area and they don't know what to do. They're just, it's, what do we do from here? And I listen, I empathize because I, I come, I, I understand what they're going through, but I also listen to what they need in that moment. So is it just someone to listen because nobody else understands or do they need, you know, names of people in the community that can help um, bridge that treatment plan together? Well, I know that you have your own personal experience with it. I have my own personal experience with it. And I, I've got so many questions because so for me, what it is, and, and I've talked openly about this on this channel, is that my daughter was killed a number of years ago by a man who was just diagnosed with schizophrenia, although his was very much um, drug-induced. There, there, He never really had a solid diagnosis. And then, of course, he scooped away to jail, and he probably never will get uh, a true diagnosis. And uh, you had mentioned that you've got some, some history with it as well. So for questions, what is the biggest question that you normally get asked from families? What seems to be their biggest question? 
what do I do? And, you know, a lot of these mental illnesses, there are no cure. Um, There's not a magic pill that I can tell them to take and then poof, it's gone. Um, It's a long journey and it can be a very bumpy one. Again, it goes back to that question of where they're at right now and how can we help you right now? What do you need? And I listen. And, you know, most of the time, this is all they, these these families need is someone I can understand and I can relate because of my own personal journey um, with my family member. And I understand some of the things that they might've gone through. And then I listen to what did they need in that moment? Is it just the ear or is it another referral to a place that can help support that individual? It, it just depends. Every scenario is very different, very unique. And it's, I listened to what you just said about your daughter and I'm that hearing it breaks my heart because it could have been prevented, right? Had it been perhaps treated early or if people were paying attention to symptoms or if, and that is another big thing that we'd really like to drive home to our families is to pay attention. And if we can catch the early signs early enough and document it and present it to, you know, a clinician or Um, somebody who is trained in these, then we can start to build on getting a diagnosis and then building that proper treatment plan and then a medication that will help support that diagnosis so that those things don't happen. And what are some of the signs that we should be looking out for? Yeah. So um, specifically schizophrenia is, again, it's a brain illness. So And it's characterized by positive and negative symptoms. And I really want to preface before I go on with that, because when I first heard this, I learning about this positive and negative, it's not positive in a good way. That's not what I mean. It's, it's positive as in things that we add. So things like hallucinations and delusions that are added to somebody's perception and then negative symptoms are things we take away. So, um, reduced, you know, mobility or reduced speech or reduced energy or um, any things that you just like take away from someone. And those are really um, how we, how the clinicians diagnose somebody. And it can take a really long time, especially if you're not aware of what these symptoms mean or what they are, or if you're unfamiliar with mental illness as a whole. What if, how would you speak to a loved one who is exhibiting symptoms and you're very concerned about them? And anytime you try to approach them, they're resistant to hearing about what you're saying. What's your advice to them? Yeah, that that's a very hard one because it's a very real thing. I mean, and because um, mental illness is approached differently than every other illness. If I were you know, if you were to be told that you have um, diabetes or cancer, you're given a whole different approach than if somebody were to tell you you're being diagnosed with a mental illness and you're kind of, you don't know what to do with that information. If you were to tell your loved one that you're, you know, noticing these types of things, that's the first thing is for your own self to notice them and to document them and to realize, okay, something doesn't seem right and have that conversation with them. Like, are you okay? Um, how's your day today? And then, you know, instead of deciding what it is, you're kind of building a case as, okay, this seems different. And I've noticed the trend over the last week. Um, maybe we should call your doctor, or maybe we should call someone who has trained experience in this one, 
or maybe we should start looking into what this is by listening to, you know, shows like this and um, seeing if there's kind of a trend as to this behavior. And I know from some work that I've did, I worked with seniors before and our advice always was let the doctor give the news. Don't you be the bad guy. Let the doctor be the one to, because it's just not as personal that way. That's right. And I mean, we are not, I'm not a doctor. I am not trying to diagnose and neither is the family member. I mean, I've had, I've, I've had grown up with someone in my family who has had these symptoms and, you know what I mean? Telling them and yelling at them about things that you think is wrong is not the right thing to do. But if you're kind of aware and you approach it in a loving way, and I mean, that is another thing is separating the illness from the person. That is one of our core, you know, values that we preach in our uh, groups is to separate them. And once I learned that, my whole perception changed because it wasn't just, I wasn't blaming the person anymore for, you know, whatever happened going through this, it's the illness and nobody asks for that. Yeah. Through the, through the sentencing, I passed his lawyer a note for a fellow I knew who could potentially help him. And everyone was furious. Why would I, why would I try to help him? And it's because I understand that he's a human who has an illness that he he's fully culpable for what he did, but you know, there maybe one day he could recover. We don't know. It's not for me to, to judge. And that's a very courageous way of your approach. I mean, you could be, you can sit with that anger for so long. I mean, that's not a thing that no one wants to ever carry with them, but to approach it with that kind of heart really does start to remove that stigmatized perception that mental illness has been given. Oh, I, it, it made it so much easier for me. I mean, carrying that resentment and anger is just, it just hurts me, not, not the other person. And, you know, we just, I just did a video uh, on family programs and the importance of incorporating the whole family into, into mental health recovery and addiction recovery. And that's the theme that I'm hearing with you is that family. When I get these phone calls from families that are seeking support for their loved one, that's the, like my heart just is is so happy be, to ha- that these loved ones have those family members in their in their life to ha- to want to help them to want to seek support for themselves and you know we are a huge proponent of self-care and taking care of yourself because you're no good to that person if you're no good so seeking that outside support looking for additional resources looking for help Um, that really does help connect the whole treatment plan. And once they're discharged from whatever facility, if that were the case, to have a safe, caring, loving place to go, wherever that is, that's best for them. That really does help normalize the situation rather than put a burden on it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how exhausting it would be because there's a level of enmeshment in there and, and, and just the trauma that you go through in, in supporting a loved one. And uh, yeah, my heart breaks for families. I, I, I know what they go through. Yeah. It, it can carry a lot of weight. So we try again, meeting them where they're at with whatever type of support um, would work best for them. 
whether it's the one-on-one, I have, you know, people who call me once a week or we have weekly conversations. And a lot of the times I'm just listening and they just need that outlet. They just need, because they don't have someone else in their life that might understand. And I'm a very judgmental or non-judgmental source um, of, of just listening. And then sometimes group support uh, support groups work for other people because they want to hear other people who have similar stories, which helps too in recognizing that they're not alone and there is hope. Yeah, we've got our new or our virtual family program coming up. And I think I might do it again just to get that refresher and and go through that process and learn, you know, get those reminders on my boundaries and and having difficult conversations and self-care. I've been sort of falling down on that area. It's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what are your, now we do inpatient treatment uh, for schizophrenia, uh, dual diagnosis, addictions, uh, bipolar, borderline, all of it. So what are your thoughts on inpatient treatment versus the outpatient treatment? And you can be honest. <laughs> I mean, I think every situation and every um, case is different. And I think what might work best for one family might not work for another family. And impatient for a lot of people I've heard is a success and it works wonderful. And I've also heard it for outpatient. It just, I, I am just whatever is going to work for you and give you that sense of safety and knowing that your loved one is safe and getting the treatment to progress to a, you know, a normalized life with this illness. It, I mean, it's, there's no cure. We know that, but it's also also not a death sentence either. There are so many people that are walking around talking about lived experience that are happy and healthy and surrounded by people who can help them on their journey. And there is that for either the inpatient and the outpatient. I think it just works. Anything else that you wanted to add that we haven't talked about? Obviously the key tape takeaways are, are, family support and get and get that help that you need. And I think it's, um, if we continue to talk about these, uh, talk about these topics that we so badly don't want to talk about, the more that we talk about, we'll remove the stigma. And the more that we talk about it, the more that, you know, facilities like yours, like yours and clinicians and resources from our community, that we can better help connect each other and support. I think it will help alleviate the stress for families, even just like a little bit at a time. I think that will help the progression in the long run with, um, with understanding mental illness. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we've made some great strides here in Canada around awareness and, and having those tough conversations around mental illness. And because it is, it's, it's something you're born with. It, it's not a reflection of who you are. It is just a condition that you're born with or, or that you develop. Absolutely. And I, I always say this to families, like if, if, and I referred to this before about if you were to give in a, you know, a physical diagnosis of, you know, whether it's cancer or some other disease, you are given a, a bag full of resources right away. People bring you cake when you are given a mental illness diagnosis, you don't get cake. You don't get a bag full of resources. You're kind of trying to figure it out for yourself. And in a lot of cases, I mean, depending where you are, but I want to 
help reduce that approach. And that's why these conversations are so important to have. Well, I'm going to include your contact information in the description on YouTube and the show notes on the podcast. And, and obviously if somebody's watching in the other side of the country, they can contact their local schizophrenia society. Perfect. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much.